0: Hi, and welcome to the Writers' Forum on WRBH. I'm David Benedetto, and today I'm joined by author Carmen Maria Machado. How are you doing today, Carmen? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. It's, it's great to be talking to you. Um, you're calling in from Philadelphia? Yes. And how cold is it there right now?
1: You know, actually, today it is not that bad. Um, it's like 40, but it was, you know, it was like 5 degrees <laughs> like a couple weeks ago, so <laughs> I, it feels positively balmy right
0: now outside well, that's good that's good because here in new orleans if it gets below like 40 like you know water stops working for some reason right. <laughs> <laughs> so you yeah, enjoy that, that that infrastructure that you have up there
1: right right
0: <laughs> well um carmen to kind of dive in um your debut collection of short stories her body and other parties was uh, released last year, and it was nominated for a bunch of awards, including the National Book Award for Fiction, and I was wondering uh, how that felt, and, you know, uh, how did how did that feel, kind of getting that announcement?
1: Um, I mean, very exciting, very, a little bit, I mean, I feel like, you know, I was in this weird state of shock where I, like, wasn't quite processing, like, I was just sort of going about my day, like, doing some laundry and, like, you know, just living my life, but also I was sort of freaking out on the inside, Um <laughs> So, yeah, it was this interesting sort of mix of emotions. Um, And it's interesting because it's, you know, no one's more shocked than me. Like, I mean, I love my book. I think it's great. But I also am like, there are so many good books that come out every year. Like, the odds of getting, you know, sort of acknowledged for that is, like, not high. And so, you know, I just felt very... um oh, I don't know, just like kind of surprised and pleased and, you know, all the emotions.
0: <laughs> I could feel that. I understand. I get that. Um, how yeah. did this collection kind of begin to come together for you?
1: Um, well, I wrote it. So I I, sub, I sold it about two years ago and I was writing it about five years before that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I started it when I was in grad school. Um, you know, the first year of school, I was just sort of experimenting. And then finally I sort of um, entered into what I call sort of my, my current voice. Like I sort of f- wrote my first story, which is in the collection, which is difficult at parties where I felt like I, I was doing something interesting and new that felt very like me. Um, and yeah. And then from there, I, you know, I wrote a lot of stories and some of them did not get included in the collection. So they didn't really, they didn't really belong there, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, like a lot of them, um, a lot of the ones that I wrote, you know, ended up or some of the ones I wrote, I wrote ended up in the book. Um, So, yeah, it was just sort of like as I would write, I would be like, oh, this story seems to be like engaging with the same themes. And I would include it.
0: Yeah, I get that. And you mentioned kind of finding, uh, being able to be comfortable with the voice that you're writing in. Uh, What was that process like? Because I know a lot of times writers will, you know, imitate a voice or or go through a lot of different imitations of of other writers trying to find their own kind of schematic for how they want to write. And uh, who who did you base yourself off of, if anyone? And, you know, how did you know that you had whittled it down to, you know, in essence, you?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, it's so funny because I feel like there's almost it's this paradox, right, where it's like you can only become yourself by reading a lot of other people, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you're sort of figuring out like what from every author, like what are they doing that speaks to you um, and that you want to reproduce? Um, so it's funny, like I got to school, I, you know, I had read a lot, but I'd read a lot of very sort of specific authors um and not and I just did not have like a very sort of wide range of literature under my belt and I had a lot of friends say to me you know based on what you're writing like you seem really interested in like you should be reading like Angela Carter and Shirley Jackson and um George Saunders and Karen Russell and Kelly Link and I was like oh okay so I just sort of went and like you know got copies of their books um and started reading them and was like just completely blown away um and suddenly felt like I I, I that the, the sort of this, what was possible in literature was much bigger and wider than I had anticipated. Um, so, yeah, the, I don't know. There was just this really interesting, pro, you know, and, and then at some point I just I don't know, like I just sort of distilled it into this like essential quality of myself. It's like it's like a meal, right? It's like you make it from different ingredients, but then it becomes something unique in that combination. So, yeah, I guess that's that's what I did.
0: Yeah, no, I, I get that. And um speaking of Shirley Jackson, you wrote a uh, a wonderful article for the Atlantic um about Shirley Jackson's the haunting on Hill House, uh about just this this kind of break away from uh in your fiction about, you know, not having to rely on the conve- convections of uh realism. Uh, could you talk about that piece a little bit?
1: Yeah, um so y- yeah, so the piece was actually it was like, like sort of this interview I did with The Atlantic about yeah the haunting of Hill House and the scene in the haunting of Hill House where um, uh, the protagonist, Eleanor, is on a road trip to the haunted house and she oversees the scene um, with this young girl uh, who's refusing to drink a cup of milk at an inn. And um, the mother explains to the waitress that she won't drink from it because um she has a cup a cup of stars that she drinks from at home that has stars in the bottom and she won't drink she won't drink from any other cup and um Eleanor sort of has this very intense like psychic not actually psychic but this sort of intense moment with this little girl where she's like you know demand your cup of stars like don't let them give you anything else like you know demand demand the right to you know um uh, like 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 have what you what you want and what you what you are owed um and it's really beautiful and i feel like there's just something about you know her work, where it's like along this sort of beautiful line of like magic and horror and realism. That just I don't know, just really like makes sort of her perspective as like you know, you know, the, she. I mean, she was like you know a feminist thinker and a mother and like all of these sort of different roles that women play. And she got to just sort of like um, use these sort of genre tropes and these ideas. To explore those things more fully, um, yeah. So I don't know. I just I just really love her, and I feel like you know it's really sh- we lost her too soon, and I wish I'd gotten to meet her.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. I agreed. Agreed. Uh, I- incredible. What you know th- that career could have become ab- after that. You know, with with what she had produced during that you know short period of time. Oh uh, no. Yeah. Interesting. I uh, going going back to your collection. Um, when when reading reviews and looking at the book itself, uh, there are a lot of comparisons to kind of two genres really uh, one being fairy tale and the other being horror uh mm-hmm. and when you were kind of whittling down that h- how did those themes start to appear was it something kind of planned or was it just kind of there to go with
1: um i mean i it, i don't plan to think not the right word i mean i just sort of i read a lot of different genres and then i just take from those genres what i want so I love horror. Horror is a genre that I, I watch horror movies. I read horror novels. Like, I really love horror as a genre. And so it makes sense to me that that would be, you know, like, that would be part of my project. Um, and it would just end up in my book. And like similarly, like fairy tales and the, not just fairy tales, but the form of the fairy tale um, is really interesting to me and I think tells us a lot about our, I mean, actually both horror and fairy tales tell us a lot about ourselves culturally, like what we're anxious about, what we're obsessed with. Um, and I feel like, yeah, I just sort of feel like um, it's, they're just really good ways to sort of lenses to use to sort of go into, uh, to go into just writing about what's sort of happening right now. Um, So, yeah, so I guess not, it wasn't like I was like, oh, I'm going to write a book that is a horror book or I'm going to write a book that's a, um, you know, that is like deals with fairy tales. I just sort of, that's just kind of how it ended up. Uh,
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. Um, What's kind of, kind of fun question. What are some of your favorite horror tropes?
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, I'll tell you, I have, I'm always on a different kick. Right now, the kick that I'm on is Haunted Houses. Mm. Um, I've been thinking a lot about them and reading a lot about them, and I've been really enjoying just that, that thought process. Um, I also am really interested in possession and possession films, um, which is I, I've been thinking about for slightly less time, but I'm really interested in like, writing a possession story, but I haven't quite figured it out yet. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But I also just generally, like, like I'll watch, like, most, most horror films.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I get that. Are, are you more of a fan of, like, moodiness and, like, kind of, like, tonality? Or do you, are you more about the jump scares?
1: No, I'm, I'm more about moodiness and tonality. Huh. Um, you know, I was one of those people who, like, I went and saw The Witch, and I loved it. I mean, I was just, like screaming in my head about how much I loved The Witch, and I remember, like, you know, I don't know if you saw it, but, like, when it ended, um, the woman in front of me was, like, enraged, and she was, like, <laughs> yelling to her friend about how much she hated it, and how stupid it was, and how she was going to ask for her money back, and I feel like that's, like, that, like, I'm the opposite side of that, where I'm, like, oh, it's moody, it's weird, like, Um, you know, I'm like all about that. I'd like, I'm ready, you know?
0: (laughs) No, I'm completely with you. I'm totally team. The witch team, the Babadook team. It follows. I'm all about them.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: (laughs) Well, great. Um, to kind of get into your, uh, your writing itself. Uh, what are some of your, your writing habits? Do you have like a, a morning routine? Do you need like a cup of coffee on the desk? Uh, is there anything like that?
1: Um, well, it sort of depends where I am. So I am not a person who writes every day. In fact, when I'm teaching, which I do during the, you know, during the semesters, um, and, or when I have other stuff going on, I, I, am not able to write. Um, but when I am sort of in writing mode, which is when I have like, like full days where I can just sort of devote it to writing, I usually rise pretty early. Um, yeah, have my coffee, um, write really intensely until, you know, like noon or one and then I'm done. Um, I'm just like an early, yeah, early riser. Like I need to sort of, I need to have like nothing kind of on my plate because otherwise I get very distracted and stressed out. Um,
0: So, yeah. Yeah, just go straight into it and make it happen so you can, you know, do what else you want with the the rest of your time. Yeah. No, I I get that. Um, How do you, what would you, in in your opinion, what makes a good story?
1: Oh, hmm, what does, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I think good stories have something to say about something larger than the story itself. So I feel like there's this very sort of like weird idea amongst certain people where it's like, oh, I just want to be entertained, which is like, fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But like a good story is, can entertain you and also be telling you something or like suggesting something or making you think in a different way. Um... And I'm personally a sucker for beautiful sentences. I think that um, sentences are really important. And uh, I think that that, for me, that's what makes a good story. Um, I think beautiful sentences is something to say. And then past that, I'll read basically anything.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get that. Um, well, I want to come back to, to beautiful sentences and, and d- dive into that a little bit more. But, um, you know, uh, reading reading your collection, there is one story... Um, that is a really good story, but it also presses kind of the idea of what a story can be, and that's um, a story entitled "Especially Heinous," um, mm-hmm. which which is which is really lovely and and fantastic and and uh, moving in a lot of ways. And I'd love if you could talk about that story and how you kind of came up with that structure and decided to include it in the collection.
1: Yeah, so "Especially Heinous" is a short story that uses the titles of two hundred and seventy-two. Episodes of Law and Order SBU, basically the first twelve seasons, Um, and it sort of has this like I guess I call it like a symphonic structure where like each sort of mini story builds into like a larger narrative, Um, and it's very long. It goes on for many many pages, and it's sort of a I feel like it's one of those stories where people either love it or they hate it, um, (laughs) and there's like no middle ground. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and the way I wrote that it's sort of a weird like two part story. The first part of it is that I. Um, years ago, I lived in California, and I lived by myself, and I got swine flu, um, and I was so sick that I didn't even leave my apartment. Like, I sort of was like, I don't feel so good, and then by the time I sort of realized it was happening, I was just sort of trapped, um, and I got an incredibly high fever, as people did during that flu, and I had Law & Order SVU playing in the background because you know it was when Netflix had introduced that feature where you... Um, you know, episodes would just, like, continue. Like, if you finish an episode, it would just go to the next one as opposed to, like, having to click to the next one. Mm-hmm. So I was just, like, burning with fever and, like, really sick. And, you know, this, whole, this, this show was just, like, playing in the background. So I think part of me is sort of, like, this sort of Lynchian experience of, like, <laughs> these episodes playing in the background is definitely part of it and sort of adds to that sort of surreal feeling um, of the story. But, yeah, and then you also sort of include – um and then also, you know, later, I, uh, <laughs> I don't know, I was like really interested in, I was thinking about like writing about sexual violence and like narratives of sexual violence. And I was really interested in the fact that like, you know, Law and Order SVU is like our only content- currently running Law and Order franchise. You know, it's all about rape. It's very interesting to me. I mean, it's sort of depressing. And also I like it. Like I watch it. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of feelings about it. So <laughs> I don't know. It just seems sort of like the perfect um, container into which to pour a lot of my ideas. Um, and like, there's a really, I mean, one of my favorite short stories is Kelly Link's magic for beginners, Mm -hmm. um, which is a short story also about television and fandom. Um, and I think I read that she wrote that story. It's not actually explicitly about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but it sort of, I guess that was like sort of her inspiration or what she was thinking about when she was writing it. Um, so yes, yeah, so I don't know. I just sort of wanted to write about television and I wanted to write about this show and like how the show sort of operates culturally for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah,
0: that's just, that is just what I did. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get that. No, that's that's great. Um, to, to go back to your 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 other topic about, you know, a fascination with beautiful sentences, um, one of the things I, I love about your stories as well is that the minute detail on a line by line basis, almost word by word basis as far as what you want to do. And I, I'm really interested to hear about your edi- editing process and how you kind of arrive at the story that you want and, and how long that takes.
1: Oh, that's a really good question. Um I mean, i I actually write I, I write I, I write pretty close, my sentences are usually pretty close to completion when I write them the first time, um, which doesn't necessarily mean that I I mean, I just I think I, I I'm sort of form them in my head the way that I intend them to be. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of my editing is actually just figuring out what is happening. So like a lot of times, like I'll write a story and you know, there'll be a section where it's just like a big bracket and it'll just say like, You know, she goes to the store here and then I have to come back to it later and be like, how does that going to fit into, you know, whatever is going on in the rest of the story? (laughs) Um, So a lot of the times it's just figuring out like what is actually happening on the page. But the sentences themselves actually come out fairly fully formed right off the bat. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I feel like when I am editing my sentence, it's oftentimes like the metaphor got away from me, you know, and I need to (laughs) like reel it back in a little bit, which happens to me sometimes.
0: No, I can understand. Sometimes you get, you know, kind of whirled up and you're just like, I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go with it. And like, you know, a day later, you're like, ooh, ooh.
1: Yeah, right. Or my editor will be like, so what does this mean?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Do you ever try and like, like defend yourself? And eventually you're like, oh, no, that doesn't mean anything. I'm sorry.
1: Not if it's. I mean, if it's an editor I trust, not really. Yeah. I mean, like definitely I've had to like defend myself with certain things, but you know I've been really lucky in that I've had some really wonderful editors and like a good editor, you know, you don't you don't feel that defensive usually. I think you just sort of are like, okay, like that's legit. Yeah. <laughs> I trust you. No, I um,
0: um yeah. This is speaking of editors, uh, what's the most useful advice and criticism that you've gotten from an editor?
1: Ooh. I mean, the thing, you know, my editor at uh, Grey Wolf, Ethan Nasowski, is a genius. And there's a story in my collection called The Resident, which I struggled to finish for many years. And it was sort of, it was the last thing I finished in the collection, even though I'd started writing it many years before, because I, you know, Ethan was like, I don't think you really know what this story is about. And I was like, I think you're right. Um, you know, and he was like, I think... Uh, I think there's like a lot of stories in this one story and I think you need to like figure out what the actual story is. And I was like, I think you're right. And he sort of pointed out to me that there is this sense of, um, the spiraling, um, that was happening around, uh, like, like, a, like a thing that, that the character was referencing that had happened in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, you keep mentioning this thing that like you never actually show it like what happened in the past. And I was like, Oh yeah, I should figure that out. Um, and then I did. And then once I figured it out, everything else kind of fell into place. Um, and so I think really what he was sort of teaching me was to like trust my instincts and to, you know, oftentimes I feel like writers like plant seeds in their drafts and, then, and they don't even realize they've done it. And then later it just takes like a little bit of encouragement for somebody to be like, oh, my God, like you actually have the solution to the problem you're having in the story, like already in the story. You just need to like make it you just need to kind of like let it grow. Um, and that was really smart. And also, you know, it was not prescriptive. He wasn't like, here's what the story should be about. He was like, I think the key to this story is in these this scene that you haven't written yet. And I think you need to figure that out.
0: Um, that's so, yeah, great. he's
1: just a genius and I just love him.
0: So <laughs> Yeah, no, no, I think that that's awesome because sometimes with editors, you'll find people that are either too broad or they almost want to write the story for you in a certain way. Um yeah. and it can be prescriptive. And that, that's really kind of a good middle ground because you were able to figure that out for yourself and it was it was useful. Exactly. Oh, interesting. Um we, we talked about horror a little bit earlier, but um fairy tales. Do you have is there a certain fairy tale that you would consider your favorite or is the most affecting for you?
1: Oh my goodness, that's a really good question. I mean, I'm definitely interested in fairy tales. Um my favorite sort of uh, a fairy tale adaptation is The Bloody Chamber by Angela Carter, uh-huh. which is, you know, her her version of Bluebeard. Um which I read very often. I return to a lot. I really, really love it. Um the original version I'm kinda like, eh, you know, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I like Angela Carter's version better. Um like you do. But uh <laughs> but yeah, um gosh, what else? Um yeah, I mean, I don't know if I love the originals. It's more just like I'm interested in sort of the potential for thinking about them and, like, what they have to say to us. Yeah. Which is not about so much liking it as just, like, knowing that it's just an interesting sort of literary artifact that, like, can tell us a lot about ourselves.
0: It's true. It's interesting. Like, like I remember doing an interview about um, this folklorist who was did a, a translation of the original um brothers Grimm stories before they 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 spoofed it up in order to, you know, get it published and, and bought by people. And the stories are really strange and like in an almost nonsensical way. Like you mentioned David Lynch before, there's a lot of like surrealist things from these stories that oh. were written a thousand years ago and it just like plot wise does not make sense to like our modern sensibilities.
1: Yeah, it's funny because, you know, there are obviously certain ones, you know, that we, like, know about because of, like, Disney and, like, all these other sort of popular adaptations, but, like, when I teach fairy tales in my class, I make them do an exercise where they find an old fairy tale and they adapt it, but I'm, like, you can't do any of the obvious ones, like, no Snow White, no Red Riding Hood, you know, no Cinderella, nothing, none of that, like, I want to, no Little Mermaid, I just want to, I want you to find, and I was, like, you know, they're weird, like, the ones the ones, um, the older ones are very weird. Oh, I really like the juniper tree. That's a, that's a weird old one that is, is like, so weird in a really fun way. I don't know if you know that one.
0: I don't. Can you give a, a brief uh, synopsis of it?
1: Yeah, I couldn't even tell you all the details, but there's a part where a boy is leaning his head into a trunk and his stepmother snaps it off. Like, she, like, uses the trunk to, like, cut his head off. Oh, wow. And his head <laughs> is just in the trunk. Yeah, it's, it's, like, a really dark, it's really dark. <laughs> Um. Yeah, but it's so so funny because I feel like my students are always like, oh, like we had no idea that these like weird surreal stories that like have been told a million times and that have always variations are sort of in the, you know, in the, in the conversation. Yeah, in the um,
0: zeitgeist, you know.
1: It's In the zeitgeist, right. It's always like, some, it's always very eye-opening for them, I think. And it's pretty cool that I make them adapt them. And it's pretty cool to see like how they adapt, like how you take those ones that maybe that don't maybe speak to a modern sensibility because it's like, how do you even begin to make sense of them? And they try to like make it work, which is really interesting.
0: Yeah. No, Um, I get that. I get that. Um, You're teaching in Philadelphia right now?
1: Yes. I'm the uh, writer in residence at Penn.
0: Ah, fantastic. Mm -hmm. How's, uh, what does that role kind of entail? And what's your your teaching schedule like?
1: Um, I teach two classes a semester. Um, It's, I mean, it's lovely. I really adore it. I've been teaching, like I taught a horror class last fall, I'm teaching speculative fiction. I'm teaching like a, just a intro to creative writing this semester, flash fiction. Yeah, I'm covering a lot of ground.
0: Um oh, cool. And and uh, Yeah, what what do, you, what do you like most about, you know, interacting with students?
1: Um you know, I actually find it kind of useful to just have to like explain it be like, you know, here's how you do these really cuz it's, it's weird. It's like it seems simple to like create a character or, you know, write about setting or, like, all these very, very basic sort of craft things, but my students, it's really neat to explain it to them and kind of go through that process again, because I feel like it always kind of opens up my brain a little more, um, and I just, I don't know, I just love helping people kind of figure it out. When students get really excited about writing, it makes me feel, or, like, reading, it makes me feel really amazing. It's a really <laughs> wonderful feeling.
0: So No, great. Well, um, the uh, interview yeah. is coming to, to a close, but i got a couple more questions for you, um, yeah. including uh, what, what are you reading right now and what was your favorite book of last year?
1: Oh, my God. So let's see. Last year, I think my favorite book was probably um, What It Means When a Man Falls from the Sky by Leslie Nicarama, mm. Um, which was another short... Th- last year was a really good year for short stories. I feel like there were like a million collections that came out that were wonderful. Um, and I just read... Um, Oh my God! The Come Down by Rebecca Frumkin, which is a forthcoming novel. I think it's coming out in like April or something. Oh wow! Um, and I just got to got to read it, and it's really wonderful. So there's a lot of good stuff coming out this year. I'm excited.
0: Oh, fantastic! And and um, what's next for you after this short story collection? Are you working on any more stories? Are you pushing forward with a novel? Anything?
1: um well i have a lot of projects i'm sort of i have like writer add i'm kind of like all over the place so i have a lot of things started but my next sort of thing that i have to finish is i sold my memoir to gray wolf last year and it's due to them this fall um and that's coming out in 2019
0: oh that's exciting uh wow that's as if it's a big switch from especially you know these these types of stories uh was it to kind of like ground yourself in very much realism
1: um i mean it's 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 definitely different. I mean, the process of writing nonfiction, even when you're dealing with similar topics as fiction, is like very. It's a, just a different sort of headspace to be in. Yeah. Um, but this this memoir does use some like experimental material, um, so it isn't, It doesn't just like straight. I mean, it is re- it is real, but it's it's not. It still has a sort of playfulness that I think you a reader of mine would recognize. Um,
0: yeah. No, I get that. Uh, I think that, that's going to be fun for you as well to kind of experiment with that.
1: Right, right, exactly.
0: Well, even though it is your own life, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, Carmen, uh, I want to thank you so much for, for talking with us. This was a real pleasure.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. This was my pleasure as well. This was lovely.
0: That was author Carmen Maria Machado, author of Her Bodies and Other Stories, which is out now via Grey Wolf Press and was nominated for a National Book Award in Fiction last year. And that's our show. You've been listening to The Writer's Forum on WRBH 88.3 FM here in New Orleans. You can catch our show every Thursday at 3 p.m. as well as Sundays at 8.30 a.m. And we always have interviews available on our SoundCloud page, which is soundcloud.com slash WRBH reading radio, as well as on iTunes and Google Play. I'm David Benedetto. Until next time.